The reading is from the book of James, reading from uh, chapter 5, verses 7, actually to verse 12, not verse 11, as it says. That's on page 1216 in the Bibles in the pews. So James chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Thank you for reading, Polly. Um, I usually say keep James chapter 5 open in front of you. Keep your service sheet in James chapter 5 so that we can easily come back to it. Okay, let's pray and uh, then we'll uh, motor on from that point. How we thank you, Father, for that God-breathed scripture which we have had read to us this morning. We thank you that you've not left us to work things out by ourselves. You've given us your Holy Spirit, that same Spirit who inspired the writers of the Bible to put your thoughts down uh, on paper for us. Um, We thank you that he can speak afresh uh, through that word to our hearts this morning, and we pray he would in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine you are at an airport and you're observing the passengers gathering in the departure lounges after they've um, gone through security. All of them, I guess, just a a moment or two away from boarding their planes to fly thousands of air miles between them all. You would probably see lots of different outlooks um, before your eyes there, some without a care in the world. No matter that they are going to be 30,000 feet up inside a narrow metal tube travelling at speeds in excess of 500 miles an hour. They are frequent flyers. No fears at all. Some are stressed enough already by the security checks and having their nail file or their hand cream picked up by the scanner. Some are seeking sedation um, from the fear of flying, probably, and other things maybe, with a good stiff drink. Some might not be able to walk to the gate and they're heading to the the plane in a wheelchair. Now, what they all have in common 
is that however they feel about the experience, they will in the end travel in the same way. They commit themselves to the plane to get them from A to B. The laws of gravity mean that without that plane, they cannot fly. If they somehow were to remove themselves from the plane, then gravity takes over. But assuming they stay on board, thanks to the power and energy of the, power and energy of the engines, however they're feeling about the experience, the plane will do its job. And that is an objective reality. We're in the middle of a series on the fruit of the Spirit. One of the words in the Bible to describe the Holy Spirit is power, literally dynamis, from which we get our word dynamite. That power and energy, the power of God himself, is at work in us if we belong to Jesus Christ. To overcome the down drag of sin in our lives. Sin is like gravity, which will pull us all down. But the Holy Spirit is a supernatural power from God himself, lifting us beyond our natural abilities and temperaments if we are Christians, beyond our, our efforts, the sort of try-hard mentality. He can lift us beyond that if we're Christians. As an objective reality, God's divine power is at work in us, in you. If you belong to Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is objective fact, love, joy, peace in our lives. And nowhere is that more apparent than as we think about the next word Paul uses to describe the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. We're going to focus on what our reading from James has to say about patience in a moment. But I want to begin, actually, in Galatians chapter 5, just to get our bearings. I'm afraid I've been doing this quite regularly as we uh, look at these um, Fruit of the Spirit uh, verses. Uh, it's page 1172. So one preliminary point in Galatians to begin with, page 1172, is this, that the work of the Holy Spirit is not confined in Galatians 5, to spe special dramatic experiences, which you might conclude from the way sometimes people talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, you can tell that if you have the passage open in front of you, just by the way he speaks in some of the surrounding verses to that verse, um, verse 22 and 3 about the fruit of the Spirit. Let me tell you what I mean. I'll try and unpack it a bit more. In verse 16... Paul tells his readers to live by the Spirit, which obviously refers not to a flash in the pan, but to their whole life. Same sort of thing in a couple of the other verbs he uses. Verse 18, there he calls on them to be led by the Spirit. In other words, the whole direction of travel in their life is in view, not just one choice, one turning. Verse 25, this perhaps makes it even more clear. He calls on them to keep in step with the Spirit, one pace at a time, one foot in front of the other, you could say. Each of those verbs that I've listed there, verse 16, verse 18, verse 25, imply 
that the Spirit works in us in an ongoing process. Not normally a a one-off, game-changing experience. The Holy Spirit provides the resources. He gives the spiritual life. He sets the direction. He leads. And he controls the pace. We keep in step with him. And in each case, it is a gradual, ongoing process with no let-up. Each of those verses points to progress, development, and growth as he produces fruit over time. So the spiritual Christian is always moving forward, never standing still. Static Christians are a contradiction in terms. Static means stagnating, really. Steadily forward is how to produce fruit as God supernaturally enables us to produce a crop. And I think that fits well with this week's focus. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. Not necessarily whizzy and spectacular, but determined perseverance, stickability. Never, 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 never give up. That was what Winston Churchill said at one of his last speeches to some young people at his old school. And maybe from him, I don't know how to read it, maybe it was not particularly spiritual advice, it could just have been a call to British bulldog stubbornness. But lift that sentiment onto a spiritual plane. Galatians would say that the way to never give up is to have eternity's power within you, God's ever youthful energy. And that is the miracle that God's spirit is committed to producing in us. The fruit of the spirit is objective reality if you belong to Christ. Patience. He's committed to doing that work in us. Thank God, if I like to waggle on the tee before I hit the ball down the fairway, I think I've seen other people do that, so I think I probably I ought to do it as well. I've got one other preliminary, which I think I ought to say before I really get going, and that's this. Patience is an English word which is used to translate more than one word from the Bible's languages. And there are slightly different flavors to those words. In Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is in this case literally long-spirited or long-passioned, which is not currently, I think, uh, an English word, but I'm just trying to give you the literal sense of it. And that same word is used repeatedly in James chapter 5, the reading we had. But as I said, there are other families of words in the Bible with slightly different registers of meaning which might get translated by this one word, patience, in our Bibles. One of them literally means staying power under stress, more like endurance. And there's an adjective which gets translated as patient, which is closer in meaning to meek, non-retaliatory in meaning. It's a relationship word, particularly concerned with how I relate within the church family. I think... In the series so far, we have majored on relationships in the fruit of the Spirit, love and peace. But patience, the word he's using there, is less to do with being patient with people, more to do with being patient with circumstances, long-suffering, strong-spirited in the face of setbacks. And that's the family of words 
which James is using in James chapter 5. Now, obviously, there's some overlap in the words. I don't want to be overtight about it. But I think that color to the word Paul and James is using matters. So let's go back to James chapter 5 um, and build up the picture a little more fully there. If you can find it. What was it? Page 1216. I didn't do what I asked you to do and put my service sheet in the middle of it there. 1216. So let's build up the picture a little more fully there. And I think that the idea of waiting, taking the long view, long suffering, comes through again and again with the frequent mentions of the time scale which believers have to operate by and live their lives by. Let me reread it gradually, trying to emphasize the point. Verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. And how long-suffering am I to be long-suffering and patient for? Answer, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Harvest doesn't happen overnight. You have to wait for it. In fact, this is one of those nice um, ways the Bible sometimes matches up helpfully. The word James uses there is the same word as Paul's word for, the fruit of the Spirit. So like the farmer who waits for harvest, patience is needed for productive lives. Months, not minutes. Verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm because, future perspective again, the Lord's coming is near. So that's the future date which matters when all the wrongs which come away now will finally be put right. It will happen then, but not necessarily before. So until then, don't try and get satisfaction in this life. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Just by using that word prophets, you're getting the idea of time scale again. The prophets had God's promises way back at the start, and then repeated through their ministry, of an eternal kingdom, an end to the exile, or whatever it might have been in their case. But they didn't really see the fulfillment in their own days. In fact, even when the Messiah came, uh, when the Messiah they were pointing to actually showed up, there was still a further fulfillment in the future, a second coming, as well as his first coming. And only then would the new heavens and the new earth that they promised uh, happen. Of course, the fact that he, he came the first time made it very clear that he would come again and keep all his promises. In the meantime, they'd have a promise of glory for the future. But suffering in the here and now, Jeremiah sinking in the mud in some grotty cistern, Isaiah sawn in half, And so on. Elijah, overwhelmed with dark, suicidal thoughts, but somehow keeping going. I've got a picture that I think um, Simon's managed to plumb into the uh, projection, if you've got it there. 
Some of you have seen it before. Did you see it anywhere or not? It's a picture of me. Yes, it's a picture of me. No luck, David. He's got it. There we go. This is in Paris um, from October, and I'm standing outside. You can't really see it. This is 29 Rue Serpente in Paris in the 6th arrondissement, which is where the, the group Biblique Universitaire meet each week. And they were meeting there 40 years ago when I was a student in Paris um, for a tiny little bar. So they've hung on reading the Bible. And the prophets had a word from God that gave them the perspective they needed, the promise of the future. If you want to keep patient, um, you need that revelation from God. Keep calm. And not keep calm and carry on, just sort of keep sort of British bulldog, never, never, never give up. Keep calm and read your Bible. That's why your quiet time is important. How else are we going to get the perspective of God delivering on his promises unless we read those promises? Patience with that time scale in mind. Sorry, you can take that picture off. I said, I would put my notes to myself, I read your Bible. That's a note to self. And um, get hold of Christopher Ashe's talk. Uh, it was recorded, the men's breakfast yesterday. Uh, so no sort of uh, gender excluded from watching that in due course. I thought it was a lovely example of the way the Bible will give us that eternal perspective that the prophets had. Um, you can get that talk, I'm pretty sure, soon from the website. Not up yet, but coming soon to the website there. Now let me read on. Verse 11, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and future perspective have seen what the Lord finally brought about. So lots of talk today about um, the need for resilience as people have had to deal with pandemics and global warfare and recession and mental ill health. How do we build resilience into our lives when wave after wave of struggle and hardship comes our ways? And Job might well have something to teach us, particularly in relation to the importance of a time scale if we're to persevere. When trouble comes, really easy at that point to sort of freeze frame our lives, freeze frame the story at that point as if that's the end of the story. And Job says, no, fast forward to this lovely phrase, what the Lord finally brought about. Job's prosperity being greater at the end than it had even been at the start. Job, without his family, his property, his crops, his health, wasn't the end of the matter. Now, you probably know that that story of Job is not in the Bible to promise us prosperity in this life. It is that eternal future to which Job's story points. Hold on to that perspective, says Jane. The Lord's coming is near. Patience, which is the fruit of the Spirit, waits for that day, that eternal writing of the wrongs of this life. Oh, you might say, well, that just sounds a little bit like pie in the sky by and by. Am I really to just hope vaguely that it's all going to turn out okay? Well, it, it might be uncertain, but that Jesus came already. 
He's shown us how much he loves us in dying on the cross for us. He's shown us how committed he is to delivering on that promise. He kept promise part one. He will keep promise part two. And that, I think, encourages us to keep going. I like the story about a woman who became a Christian. And so now she wanted to go to church on Sundays. So she had to see her boss at work and change her working pattern so she could be free for church. And he explained to her that she'd have to take a salary cut for that. Well, that's fine, she said. And her boss was really surprised. He could not believe that he, she's had, she had such a relaxed attitude to a salary cut. So he asked her for an explanation. How much do they pay you at church to do that, he asked. And with a flash of inspiration, she told him, I admit the pay isn't great, but the retirement benefits are out of this world. And that is the patience that James is talking about, the patience that the Holy Spirit wants to produce as fruit in our lives. Let me try and paint another picture of it. Imagine you and your friend are both Christians, but she has gone for a much higher paying job than you at that point where you were choosing the paths of your lives. And she's able to have a much more comfortable lifestyle than you do. She's forever upgrading her possessions to the latest and the best of everything. And difficult watching that happen. It seems unfair that one Christian can be so well off, and another has a 10-year-old car that fails its MOT every single time. And you know in that situation that that situation might well last for the rest of your life. How do you cope in that situation with your friend's prosperity when things are much tougher for you? Do you go all out for a bigger, better salary yourself? Do you just sit quietly fuming with jealousy whenever they get the next toy that you haven't got? Or do you remember the treasure you will have in heaven and make that the focus of your life? Getting safely to that great future and bringing a few others along with you on the way as well. Okay, you might say, how am I ever going to be that person? Well, can I point you to the sentence I've cunningly left to last? I, I, I made Polly read verse 12, and I, I'd already discussed that I wasn't going to preach about it. I don't know what I was thinking. The last sentence I wanted to focus on is the last little bit of verse 11. This is the answer to the how question, it seems to me. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And it's a bit anemic compared to what James literally says. It says the Lord is deep-boweled, deep bowels of emotion and pity. He'll show us mercy when we aren't patient, and he can give us that long-suffering, long-spirited, long-passioned patience, because that's what he is like. Think of that Old Testament creed that comes again and again, one of these descriptions of God that is repeated in the Old Testament. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. He's patient, you see. Paul actually quotes uh, in another of his letters from the prophet Isaiah's description of the Lord, a lovely verse where God says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a rebellious people. He's the God who perseveres with his people. 
despite their sin. He forgave them. He helped them. And then inexcusably, there's the same pattern of backsliding and sin again. And it happens all over again. Holding out his hands to us like that in love. Maybe there's a parent who wonders how they can possibly keep going with the son or daughter who is hell-bent on moving away from every Christian influence they've tried to instill in them. All day long, they've held out their arms in love. How can they keep going? Well, only one way, surely, with the help of a God who's like that. And he feels that rejection even more keenly, because in his case, it is completely undeserved. Think of the long-suffering patience that Jesus showed putting up with the unbelief of everyone around him. Mark recalls how he groaned on one occasion. How long will I put up with you? He felt that the whole time. Or his patience in enduring the cross for the joy that was set before him, says Hebrews. He was patient when he was opposed, such that he didn't revile the people who persecuted him. He actually even prayed for them. Father, forgive them. Let's remember that patience of the Lord Jesus as we come to communion. How ever did he do it? Well, let me leave one verse with you. Um, Don't turn it up. I've made you turn to different places. This is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Just listen carefully to it. How did Jesus do what he did in suffering the way he did? Hebrews 9, 14 says this. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. It was through God's Holy Spirit that Jesus went patiently through his suffering. And the same spirit can be the power in our lives to produce long-suffering patience in us, if we will but ask him. That may be the practical application for you today, to ask for God's Spirit to be at work in producing this fruit in us, to overcome the forces of gravity, the down-drag of sin, and gives us wings and engines to fly. He alone can do that in us, but he can do it. Let's pray. How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And we come, Father, this very morning with a sense of our powerlessness, our sin, praying you'd forgive us and transform us. We can't produce patience in our lives, but you can. We praise and thank you for the steadfast stickability and patience of the Lord Jesus in the face of his suffering. And we pray you'd give us his spirit to be at work in our lives and bear fruit in us. We need his help and we thank you that you promise to give it to those who ask. In Jesus' name, amen.